Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now, with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome back. Today, we have a social innovator who runs a social enterprise, very unique one, and it's Michelle McClure from Ability Online. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks so much, Peter. Okay, so let's start with the name. How did somebody come up with the name of the organization? Oh, that's a really good question. A trip down memory lane. Um, when the pilot was launched 30 years ago, uh, the idea was utilizing a bulletin board system, and it started out with... Um, one that was already existing called Midnight Express, which wasn't necessarily an appropriate name for a platform for children. Um, So when the first board of directors came together, the idea was that we are using the technology to connect young people with all kinds of disabilities to one another for friendship and support, but the entire focus is on their ability, not their disability. And that's how Ability Online came about because we don't put the emphasis on a person's disability or their limitations or challenges. We're always focusing on the potential and the strengths that we can help them build. And who are some of the the member types in terms of disabilities? When we first started 30 years ago, it was primarily children with physical disabilities. And that's because the, one of the co-founders, Dr. Arlette Lefebvre, uh, who is a psychiatrist at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, um, she was working on the physical disability team. And I was working at what's now known as Holland Blurview with kids with physical disabilities as well. And that's where we started our outreach. And then we've expanded over the years now to be all-inclusive to every kind of disability or health challenge, including mental illness. So what did you do at Blurview? I am a professionally trained recreation therapist, and I was working with the adolescent unit, the inpatients, uh, doing therapeutic recreation programs to help young people regain their social skills, um, cognitive retraining, life skills, independence, that type of thing. And Arlette, uh, the co-founder, reached out to our center to find someone to help her develop the program because Sick Kids and Blurview are very close together. A lot of the patients from Sick Kids go to Blurview for the final rehabilitation. And it was a wonderful combination of talents because she was focusing on acute care and recovery, and I was focusing on the long-term rehabilitation and coping Um, which is a slightly different focus. So we put those two energies together to create the content that we put on the platform. So this organization has been around for, as you said, around 30 years. How long have you been with the organization? For 30 years. So I got involved day two. Um, It was still a pilot project, and interesting enough story, when she approached the center and spoke to the president uh, back then, 
he felt that therapeutic recreation was a good fit because of the social component and self-esteem and confidence because that's a lot of what we do with young people. And I was the only one at the time who was comfortable using a computer because I went to the University of Waterloo. And for anybody who's gone to Waterloo 30 years plus, uh, no matter what program you were in, you had to take computer courses. Um, so that's why I was the one chosen to go and meet with her. And she's an incredibly passionate, uh, powerful woman. And it was so inspirational. And I started using the program right away, even though the technology was so archaic and relatively painful because it took an hour to download a mail packet. And then you had to type your responses and then upload the mail packet back to the system. Uh, so nothing like today, you had to have the utmost amount of patience to do it, but it, it had an immediate impact. I was sitting with the kids at the computer, watching the expressions on their faces as they started to make connections with others who totally got what it was they were going through. So tell me about some of the uh, directors that you've had over the years. Uh, they've been all business people or medical people. It's been a fantastic combination of business people, people who work in healthcare profession, parents of children who have disabilities, young people with disabilities have sat on our board. Um, it's really, we, we try to make it a blend so that we have the business aspect represented, but we also have people that have that knowledge of what it is that we're trying to accomplish in the healthcare space using the technology. Now you're a national organization, but I think as I read, you go into the States a little bit. Yes. Yes. So the, the key thing for our program is our ability to be able to screen the registrations to ensure that people are who they say they are and that they're coming to our platform for the right reasons. Um, sometimes I get seniors who want to join, and that's really not a good fit from a content perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but the safety and security of our members has always been our number one priority. And how we screen those new memberships when people register on the site is we phone. So we, we pick up the phone and we call and speak to either the parent or the individual, depending on how old they are, and just you know, get to know them a little bit, find out what it is they're looking for. And what Arlette knew way back when, because this was a, a procedure she put in place, is that bad people will not give you real information. They're not going to give me a phone number or an address where I can find them. And if I can't verify you, if I can't reach out to you and speak to you, then I'm not going to activate your account. Making phone calls to the States is relatively easy. It's the same as calling in Canada, and the calling rates are so low now that it's not an expense to the charity. Trying to deal with global screening and ensuring that we're getting through to people and that there isn't any kind of you know, a rerouting of phone numbers or what have you, because that technology has changed a lot as well. Um, we've just made that conscious decision to keep it to North America so that we can do the, um, the screening effectively. And how, based on that, that screening, how does that deal with the issue of privacy? 
that the conversation isn't recorded. I'm not writing down any details. Um, the parents and I are just chatting with each other. I'm answering their questions about the program. Um, so we're not we're not disclosing or, or posting any of that information that anybody else can access. And the the phone number we have that on file also for security purposes. Not so much in terms of. Um, you know, a, an extreme violation or threat against the organization. But the, the kids who use the site all know that if they don't follow our rules, if they misbehave, if they're rude or disrespectful to someone on the site, I will pick up the phone and call their parents. And that is a big deterrent. So we've been incident-free for 30 years because we've put that in place. Uh, but that information is kept uh, completely confidential. It's for me only to be able to screen or follow through if there's an issue. Um, and nobody else has access to that information. And for any of the techies out there, we use a demilitarized zone so that the that information is on one server and the platform's on a separate server. So talk a little bit about the programs that you run. So first and foremost, we're bringing our young people together um, to connect three ways. They can send group messages. So all of the young adults can send messages on various topic areas to one another. And we have a separate section for the kids and the teens so that we can have age appropriate discussions. And we're talking about everything from general interests to health concerns and issues, but with the focus on helping an individual build skills, knowledge, and uh, coping mechanisms for managing the challenges that they face in their daily life. And because it's a peer-to-peer -peer platform, they're learning from others who've had lived experience. So we really rely very heavily on role models and mentors who have you know, walk the path and already know some strategies that help them deal with, say, anxiety or bullying or independence. Um, and all of these topic areas are open for the members, and they're driven by the members as well. Um, we're constantly adding new content based on requests made by the members themselves. And um, then they can also private message one another if they need to have a more confidential kind of conversation. It might be a more sensitive topic that they want to discuss. And then we also have a chat room, uh, which is a wonderful thing, especially now with the whole COVID pandemic, because the live chat is a set scheduled event that happens every Monday evening. And the members look forward to this. They know there's that consistency and structure. It's always going to happen Monday at the same time. So they build it into their schedule. And for so many who are cut off from even family, if they're living in group homes or um, an environment like on their own where you know, they have attendance coming in, but families have been cut off from visiting up until now when things are starting to open up. Um, so they've really felt that isolation. And that's something we've always addressed, but the isolation was happening for different reasons. It could have been physical accessibility to different opportunities in the community. But the bigger issue is social accessibility, which not a lot of people think about. Um, there's a lot of emphasis right now on physical accessibility in our environment. So making sure there are ramps and doors with automatic openers and braille on buttons. Um, but the, the problem is all of those accommodations 
will do nothing for a person if when they go through that door into a building and they're not made to feel welcome or valued, they're not going to want to go into that building again. And that's the key piece that we're constantly looking at is the social accessibility and building inclusion and acceptance and breaking down the barriers that come with disabilities because people often make assumptions on somebody's level of ability based on their diagnosis when lots of these individuals that I've worked with have incredible amounts of potential that we just have to help them discover it and find interesting and unique ways of tapping into the strengths that they have. You know, that reminds me because my background is as a business coach and as a business professor. Maybe some of these folks would be interested in starting a business. Absolutely. Um, And there's quite a few that do work on their own or, or I have one young man out in BC, actually in Kamloops. He has an intellectual disability and he has started his own newsletter um, uh, for advocacy and breaking down barriers in the community. And he has a whole bunch of guest writers who submit articles. He's getting advertising now. This is the most incredible advocate I've ever met. And he is a go-getter. He is constantly reaching out to people for interviews, for advertising, to tell his story and to be heard. And so he's a perfect example of if you give someone a chance, uh, build up their confidence and self-esteem so that they want to take that step into doing something on their own, that that can happen. So Michelle, tell me a couple of other stories. Uh, I, I recognize the one you just mentioned because that's a, an example where getting a salary is secondary to getting the payback from the people that you deal with. Can you give me a couple of examples? Of... Uh, like other ones similar to that? Um, well, just people that have learned by being a member and the benefit to them and what they've said back to you, how it's benefited them. Right. Uh, another wonderful example is a young lady um, with uh, cognitive challenges um, that affects both her written and verbal communication. And so you can imagine with Ability Online, which is completely text-based and we're writing back and forth and you get to know each other by asking questions and, you know, writing out your message and your thoughts. And when she first joined uh, as a teenager, and she's now in her 30s, she couldn't put a sentence together. Uh, But through perseverance and her desire to want to get to know people and to feel included. And because of all the encouragement that she's received over the years, she discovered her passion for writing and she self-published her first book is working on a second one. And when I get student interns coming onto the site, many of them will work with her to uh, help her edit her writing. Um, because she still needs some help with grammar and spelling. Uh, But the content is all her own, and she's just become an incredible advocate for herself. But she's also become one of my very cherished volunteers. Uh, So in addition to coming on to the site as a member, she also comes on as one of our hosts. And a host is a senior volunteer Uh, They take on different roles. Sometimes it's a moderator role, but she's chosen to be that ambassador for Ability Online. She welcomes new members. She's there to answer any questions, and she's 
always there in the chat room, especially if for some reason I can't be there one Monday night. She lets me know that she will be there to keep an eye on things for me and keep me informed. So it's just been an incredible um, journey to watch this young lady grow up. And, and even though she can't work um, in a paying capacity, she has this wonderful vocational pursuit that, that keeps her challenged and busy and gives her a purpose. She has sold a few of her books, uh, but it's not something that she would be able to survive on. So do you have another example? Uh, another one, another success story. I've got thousands. So after 30 years, I, I, I'm sifting through all my memories, trying to you know pick out the ones that, that stand out. Um, there's another young lady who also joined when she was 12 years old, when Ability Online was in its infancy. And um, she um, has gone to school for numerous diplomas and programs is trying to figure out what it is that she wants to do. She thought she was going to go into journalism, but because of her challenges uh, with um, her disability, she has cerebral palsy, which affects both her speech and her ability to type quickly and what have you. And so it's, it's been a real challenge for her, but the, this one has more of a turn, but it's an awareness factor that we haven't figured out yet of how we can help the, how we can empower these individuals to overcome this. And the problem is she's a young lady who is on social assistance. She's on ODSP, um, the disability support program that, allows her to live in a subsidized apartment and it pays for her attendant care. Um, it pays for her wheelchair repairs. It pays for her medication because she has epilepsy as well. What it doesn't do is allow her to work and make more than $200 a month. Uh, because if she does that, then she loses her benefits and she's not able to get a job that she would make enough money in to replace those benefits. So they're forcing her to rely on her disability pension instead of being able to work. So not letting that defeat her, she volunteers all over the place, including Ability Online. And she does research for me if I'm writing grants. Um, she, When we first moved into the area of mental health, um, I was concerned about how we were going to handle this on the site because we are not crisis counseling. We don't provide any professional advice. It's all peer to peer support. So how do we handle somebody with mental health issues safely um, and in a supportive capacity? And this is something that Sarah is very passionate about. And so she did all the background research. She started making community consultations. She set up interviews with psychologists and psychiatrists and just, you know, asking anybody and everybody she could, how, how can we best implement this in this online environment? And because of her, we now have a really active uh, mental health module within the Ability Online platform. And it's been very successful, um, especially helping individuals that are dealing with anxiety, including social anxiety, you know, the fear of saying the wrong thing and having people make fun of them. You know, we can work through that with them on the site. And so this is someone who's taken her talents and she's putting it to really good use. Okay, now, last week you were on vacation. <laughs> and you're not allowed to go on vacation if you're the only employee. So tell me about backup. Who's your backup? Well, from... 
uh, from the online community side of it, which is what runs 24-7, 365 days a year, I have an incredible team of volunteers and student interns who are the, my eyes and ears on the site. So they're the ones that are keeping an eye on the content, making sure everything is always appropriate and supportive, that people are getting responses to their questions, they're stimulating those responses, and they'll let me know if there's something that I need to attend to that they're not able to. Um, so that lets me take some downtime, and I can sit on the dock and take a break. Uh, but I am always on call, um, and available to answer questions and emails if something comes up. But because we've created such a solid foundation of respect within our community, we don't have issues of bullying or teasing um, or anything inappropriate happening. So even the volunteers, it's not as demanding on them. More what's happening is that the volunteers and the students are there to help those individuals who have a hard time initiating the conversations. Um, this model of using uh, the volunteers and now actively working with colleges and universities with healthcare-related type programs, psychology, therapeutic recreation, social service workers, um, child and youth workers, uh, having these up-and-coming professionals who have all this knowledge and passion and energy and they, they want to you know, get some hands-on experience, they're bringing so much to the community. So they're helping me develop content for our different content areas because we have quite an extensive resource area within the site in addition to all the messaging. So the students have really been instrumental in taking that to the next level. So that frees me up to do a lot more of the business side of things, but I'm still very hands-on in terms of the program because the two, to, in my mind, shouldn't be separated. Because if you only look at this as a business and you lose sight of why we're doing what we're doing, then you're not going to do a good job at it. The, the passion is there to make a difference. And even when, you know, we're, we're challenged and struggling with fundraising and trying to get money in the door, the drive is always there to keep going because the impact is so profound. And, and that's the most rewarding piece for me. That's what keeps me going is that direct connection to the members themselves and the families because they're constantly giving it back and telling me thank you. I get I get so many unsolicited, wonderful comments and messages um, of people just being so grateful for the things that we do for them. One of the areas for an organization like yourself is financial support. How do you go about raising money for your organization? It's really evolved over the years. When we first started 30 years ago, it was so novel and unique that we had companies coming and literally throwing money at it. Um, it was exciting. It was novel. It was new. Nobody else was doing it. Social media wasn't even a concept. And over the years, you know, um, and, and there's also a much more competitive charitable landscape now. There's, there's hundreds and thousands of charities across the country that are competing for the same dollars. And, you know, if you're not one of the big heart and stroke or cancer foundations, they're the ones that get 85% of the philanthropic dollars. All the tiny charities are fighting for the remaining 15%. Um, and these are known statistics in the fundraising world. Um, we've been very fortunate to have some tremendous uh, foundation support, especially during the COVID pandemic. A number of foundations have stepped up, recognizing that little charities like mine 
we can't run any events now. Like we used to run a golf tournament. We used to have a different a fall event. We've done a variety of ones, but, you know, at the Hockey Hall of Fame, at the museum. We've done whiskey tasting, a whole variety of, of different ways of raising money. Um, but individuals can donate as well, corporations still, but the foundations are the ones. It's sort of shifted from corporate to foundation support now. Um, but we don't get any government funding uh, at this time. It's it's all just, you know, writing proposals, getting the word out there um, to attract the funding. But I think as awful as the COVID pandemic has been, and a lot of people are feeling that 2020 is a horrible year, for us, it's actually been a really good thing. Um, not in that it's impacted people, um, but it has raised the awareness of social isolation and how horrible it feels to be cut off. And that's the reality for my members every single day pre-pandemic. And now the general public are going, I get it. What you're doing is incredibly relevant. It makes sense now. Friends are so important. Family is so important. And I think people took it for granted before. And now they realize what we're doing is, is really vital to um, the mental wellness for our, for our members. And, and so I've, I, I had one foundation to send me a check. I didn't even reach out to them, but I was known to them. They've supported us over the years. I think the, the fact that we've kept the charity going for 30 years, even though we have a very wired world now and lots of other social media outlets, we're still the only ones that are doing the screening and nurturing and supporting of the individuals who are using it. Have you uh, done any online events using Zoom or another uh, tool that you may or may not have heard of called Remo, R-E-M-O? No, we have. I, I mean, I've participated in numerous, um, you know, video calls, meetings that have replaced the face-to-face. We haven't done any specific events related to um, Ability Online in terms of like a fundraising event or that type of thing. Um, just, you know, there's only so much of me to go around and just, you know, to have time to figure that out and to come up with the concept of what it is that needs to be done. Um, but it would certainly be something we would explore. However, having said that, I do use um, GoToMeeting, which is very much like Zoom. Right. Um, we actually do a movie night with our members. So we're trying something a little bit different uh, um, to create a, another level of engagement so, you know, normally friends would get together or go to the movies together or sit in the living room together and watch a movie. We are all on our computers, but we're watching, they're all watching my computer screen and watching the movie through me. But then what we're able to do is have a text chat during the movie. Um, and some of my members just think that's a riot where they just get to chat the entire time. They're the, the person in the movie theater who's always talking but it is so rewarding. And then we open up cameras and microphones at the end for a, a virtual visit for those who are comfortable doing that. Cause not everybody likes the, the video conferencing. And I have a lot of members that do look different or who are nonverbal. So that kind of communication is not accessible. And, and I actually learned from one of my special ed teachers uh, that I work closely with and collaborate with. He is um, profoundly deaf and he was, texting me and letting me know that 
you know, school going online and using Teams and Zoom and that type of thing totally cut him off because it's not accessible to a person who has a hearing impairment if you don't have somebody there who's doing sign language. And all of their meetings and everything else, it was people just talking and he couldn't participate. So that, that reminded me why we've kept Ability Online text-based and not moved into the video realm because the video realm uh, for the average person, isn't fully accessible. I mean, if you've got a team who can do the programming and have closed captioning and build in all those different elements, then that's great. But, you know, the average person isn't able to do that on their own. Um, so that's why we've, we've stayed text-based so that we can be fully accessible to all of our members, regardless of their disability. Gotcha. Okay, a little challenging question. Two years from now, what's ability online going to look like? What changes do you see going into the future? Well, we have a huge change coming up. Um, we are launching a brand new state-of-the-art peer platform that has such incredible uh, accessibility, enhanced features, mobile-friendly. Uh, the team that is building it for us truly, truly understands what we're trying to accomplish with the technology, which is that, that real solid connection and building self-esteem and confidence and, um, you know, skill sets and, and the mental health component that is so incredibly important for everybody. And there are new features that are coming on the site. Um, they have their own private journal, which is much like a diary, but anybody in the mental health world knows the benefits of journaling and just being able to write down your thoughts. And it's a private tool that the members can use, but if they want to be a mentor and share their story with others, they can do so. But again, within the safety confines of our platform where nobody's going to judge them for what they share. And um, for the professional members who use our site and for the parents, because we also have uh, sections on the site for healthcare professionals and teachers and the, their um, section of the website has even more features so that in addition to the messaging and our resource areas, there also is a whiteboard feature. So you can have live meetings within the platform and do some brainstorming with a whiteboard and run webinars all within our platform. That sounds um, so terrific. that's going to be... How yeah, soon? How soon? How soon? Uh, the, the, the young adults, um, so we're rolling it out in stages. Um, so we're doing our young adults first because they're the ones who have the highest needs right now. And uh, that will be happening at the end of August, which I'm just thrilled for. Um, and then the kids and teens, parents and professionals will roll out after that. So I'm thinking by year end, uh, January, we should have all of the installations rolled out because uh, it's a massive undertaking. And the um, even the functionality that they're building into the site, so when you register, you're going to be asked to indicate interests and goals. And then those keywords are going to be used to highlight new information that's posted. So if you say that you're a hockey fan, anything hockey-related, you'll get a little notification on your dashboard letting you know that somebody there's a conversation going on. And so now instead of the members having to go and hunt around or be, you know, have the motivation to explore, it's going to help push content to them based on their own experiences and what they want, not, not just what they're looking at. So it's not using cookies and, and, you know, suddenly ads are showing up on your social media because you looked at a 
run, a pair of running shoes and now all you see are ads for those running shoes. It's not meant to be like that. It's based on what the members themselves have indicated they want to learn about. And then we match that. Um, there's, they're going to be able to share content and resources and like things and, and that will give people feedback. Um, so it's just much more engaging, uh, much more designed around the individual experience and really helping them uh, to feel and be the best that they can be. So, Michelle, people uh, listening today can go to your website, abilityonline, is it .com or .ca? It's actually .org. Oh, uh, .org, okay. .org, because we're a charity. So that, that was one of the, the URLs from way back when that distinguished .com was a business and .org was a not-for-profit or a charity. Um, there's all kinds of different extensions now, but we are going through a, a rebranding, but you'll still, the charity is going to remain ability online. Sure. Um, but the platform itself is going to be renamed to my ability. So the URL will be myability.ca, um, but we'll have links from the ability online website. Uh, but ability online actually now has morphed into two different program components. There's the online community and we also have an equipment grant program for families who have a child with a disability under 18 years of age. Um, if they are an active member of our online community, they can qualify for a funding grant. Um, and we try and fund equipment that nobody else is funding. So I have funded iPads for children with autism who are nonverbal so that they can then communicate. I have funded um, the portions of wheelchairs or walkers that aren't covered by ADP because ADP only covers 75% of a lot of that equipment. Um, and families, especially now with the pandemic, I even had a family reach out to me needing help to get diapers for their son um, who has spina bifida and incontinence. And because of COVID and being out of work, um, that's a, a, an expense they can't afford right now. So Michelle, uh, as you've heard today, is a very enthusiastic, enthusiastic, passionate about what she's doing. She's had one major employer, and it doesn't sound like she's going to retire in the next 30 years. So <laughs> please visit uh, the website, Ability Online, and we certainly look forward to the uh, new version. Thank you for your time today, Michelle. Thank you so much, Peter. It was a pleasure.